Uh, we are starting a new series of messages, and we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about some of the things that that Jesus had to say, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of the things that Jesus had to say that can be counted as challenging, or can, or that can be uh, counted as difficult. I I. I've, I've followed Jesus most of my life. When I was just a little child, uh, I was introduced to Jesus and, um, and have been in church much of my life, like perhaps some of you, and have heard a lot of sermons, have heard a lot of Bible stories. And, and there are times when the Bible says things that are just hard to understand. In particular, there are times when Jesus says things that are hard to understand. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those things that are hard to understand that Jesus said. And we're going to talk about some of those things that Jesus said that it may not be that they're hard to understand. They're just simply hard to accept. You know, we live in a world of information overload. There are questions, or excuse me, there are answers to every, every question at our, at our fingertips. Probably most of you sitting here today have a, have a phone in your hand or in your purse or in your pocket, and uh, you can take... They could take that device, and in just a matter of seconds, you can query a question into that little device, and you can have hundreds upon hundreds of answers instantaneously available to you for just about anything that you can think about. In fact, my family and I were sitting and talking about something last night, and, and we had a question, and within moments, I was able to Google something, and we had tons of answers and videos about the very thing uh, that I was asking about. Problem is, can I necessarily believe whatever answer I get? I don't know about you, but but for me, there has been times in which I've read things on the internet, or I heard news, or I got information and and relied on that information, only to find out later that that information was incorrect that that news report that I had heard had been reported incorrectly or something about what I was told wasn't right. You know, misinformation is a story as old as time. In fact, if you go back to Genesis and you start reading the first few chapters of Genesis, the story of humanity really starts with a story of misinformation, right? Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They were living this life in which they were blessed by God and living in his presence. And the enemy of their soul, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of humanity came. And, and, and Satan, in his own twisted view of the world where he wanted to be God himself, he took a little bit of the truth so that it would sound plausible to Adam and Eve. And he used something that looked pleasing to their eye, the fruit that they were not supposed to take a part of and he twisted that little bit of information and he infected their hearts and their minds with a mindset or a mentality or a heart that like his wanted to be like God themselves and with that twist of misinformation humanity was led down a road in which they did the exact very clear opposite thing of what God had told them to do. 
I mean, if you go back and you read Genesis, the first few chapters, it's sometimes hard to be patient with Adam and Eve because you read the story and it's very clear that God said, don't eat of this fruit. In fact, in their interaction with Satan, they themselves said, we know we're not supposed to eat of this fruit. But because of misinformation and because of the twist of the story, they did the exact opposite of what it seemed very clear that they were not supposed to do. I'm often left with the question, how did they get confused so quickly? How so quickly did they turn from the very clear instruction that God gave to them? Well, it was all because of misinformation. It was all because something was taken with a little bit of truth and was added and mixed in with what was pleasing to the eye and mixed up with a twisted heart, a twisted soul, and ultimately people sin. They fell into a pattern of behavior, to a pattern of of existence that was the opposite of God's intent and desire for their lives. You know, we have all, we've all learned, especially in recent years, that we, like Adam and Eve, uh, we face fake news. We live in a world with fake news. We've learned that through the erosion of integrity, it has become commonplace to report and repeat things that support our biases, whether it be political or social. It's become commonplace that information runs wild, that has not been vetted, and oftentimes is simply not anchored in truth. I can tell you as someone who's gone about as personally as about as far as I can go in academia that a so-called expert can take data and information and can twist their study to support their hypothesis instead of allowing their hypothesis to be proven by their information. They manipulate their information in their academic endeavor to prove their hypothesis and to earn their intellectual stripes. Hello, we've all, we've all fall trapped to situations in which research and data has been manipulated to lead us into situations that simply are wrong. Routine, routinely science that is supposedly settled and sound is subtly edited and audited in the slightest of ways and we're just supposed to go along with it like sheep who've been told there's nothing to see here. Don't ask any of the experts any questions because after all, you don't have the degrees, you don't have the information, you don't have the experience, you just do what you're told by whom you're told. And we're just supposed to go along with the pundits, the experts, the influencers, the gurus, all the world's experts who are leading us along as sheep led to the slaughter. The world is full of all kinds of people telling us how to live, what to think. We're supposed to, be, we're supposed to accept what we're supposed to just do because they've told us to do it all the time. And heaven forbid that you not fully embrace groupthink or what we're told by the internet or what we're told by the television or the radio or by media. Heaven forbid that you ask a question because if you do, you're clearly a rebel. You're clearly someone who has rejected science. You're clearly someone who's out there on the outskirts of thinking. You're clearly someone who believes conspiracy theories you're clearly a wacko if you just don't accept what everybody else says is the way it is 
in this world where information is manipulated and changed and you can't trust what people say or what is reported or what we're told, how do we know what's true? How do we know? How do we know what we are to believe? How do we know how we're to live our lives? What do we allow to be written on our minds and on our hearts? I mean, when we read these news articles and we listen to these podcasts and we, and we see the things that we're told as if they are fact and as if they are true, even though they'll be edited and changed the next day, what do we allow to be written on our hearts? What do we allow to be written on our minds? For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, how, do, how are we to live in a world in which information cannot be trusted? Jesus' followers in his day also lived in a world in which there were gurus teaching a brand of religion there were all kinds of there were all kinds of teachers out there all kinds of prophets there were all kinds of 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 guides spiritual guides who were out there there were all kinds of religious leaders who were going about during the days in which Jesus was on the earth and his followers were often as we are caught in situations in which they just didn't know how to live they didn't know what to believe. The truth is, if you understand human history and you understand the history of the time in which Jesus walked the earth, it was also a very politically complex time. It was also a very socially complex time. Their world was full of abuse and injustice as well. They desperately wanted to find someone to follow. They wanted to find someone who could bring them the words of life. They also needed something and someone they could trust they certainly thought they had found that in Jesus as you read the stories of the gospel in the gospels of Jesus life and his ministry on the earth the people that were following him certainly thought they had finally found uh, uh, one that they could follow they had finally found one that they a rabbi that they could listen to who, who who they could believe in and yet as they were following this Jesus of Nazareth as they were following this great teacher what they found is that he often said things that were challenging to their minds he often said things that challenged their culture and ultimately challenged their hearts i want to read to you from the book of john today john chapter 6 in particular i want to encourage you this week during your daily 20 to read all of john chapter 6 it is a highly complex chapter in the Bible, and Jesus drops a lot of theological bombs in John chapter 6. He says a lot of things that are hard and difficult to understand. He says a lot of things that really builds our theology and really helps us, those of us who are following him, to understand how to live and, and what life looks like in the kingdom of God. And so I, I want to encourage you to spend time in your daily 20 in John chapter 6 this week. But I want to read verses 53 through 60 to you. It says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Anybody else want to hit the pause button? 
Let me read that again. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will, rise, I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, as I mentioned, you, you want to go back and you want to read John chapter 6 because there's a lot going on in this passage. Jesus has had this entire discourse with the crowd and the multitude that has been following him. And it has been, it has been quite interesting because he has fed the multitude. They got this big feast, this big meal from Jesus. And then they went around following him around because they thought if we go where he goes, he's going to make more bread for us. He's going to give us more food. And so they kept following. Jesus around and Jesus recognizing that they were just after him for the blessing not after him for relationship there, see there's a whole sermon there that I can't preach today but they were following Jesus around because they wanted blessings not because they wanted a relationship with God and upon hearing this Jesus said hey let me make this plain to you let me help you to understand this if you're truly my if you're truly going to be in the kingdom of God it's not just about seeking blessings it's about having relationship with God and the way you're going to have relationship with God is that you eat my body and you drink my blood that you have the bread of life not this manna and they said no Jesus we want this bread like our forefathers in the wilderness they gave us manna from heaven why don't you give us manna from heaven and Jesus says, hang on, you guys aren't really understanding what really happened in the wilderness, and you're not really understanding what I'm talking about. And so he dropped this bomb on them, and he says, if you're going to really be in the kingdom, you've got to eat my flesh, and you've got to drink my blood. Now, we know that he wasn't literally talking about them eating his body and drinking his blood, but what he said was controversial, because for a Jewish person, you would never, ever consider the consumption of blood, much less human blood. You would never consider the, the consumption of human flesh. That would have been the language of the pagans. They would have never been involved. That would have been absolutely repulsive to them. Even though he was using this analogy, what he was saying to them would have been so offensive. And you read it in the story. What he said was so offensive to their culture and to their mindset that many of them said we don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus in this passage of scripture I want to point out three things to you very quickly that made what Jesus said very hard for them number one 
Jesus challenged their ethnocentricity and he preached a gospel that demanded their culture bow its knee to his kingdom. In the message that Jesus was preaching to these Jewish believers, what he was saying, this gospel that he was preaching, was a challenge to their culture. As Jewish people, they believed that there was something sacred and holy about their culture. Not the God of their culture, but their culture itself. And they had come to a place where they were worshiping their culture as much or more than they were worshiping God. And so Jesus, in intentionally presented the gospel in a way that was in conflict with their culture. You may say, Pastor Randy, what does that have to do with us in 2021? It is this, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel that Jesus came to preach has to be filtered through the kingdom itself, not filtered through our culture. Number two, Jesus not only challenged their ethnocentricity, Jesus challenged their self-sufficiency and preached a gospel that demanded a joyful daily reliance on him. Notice they twisted the story of their ancestors in the wilderness and they had told Jesus, give us bread like our ancestors gave us bread in the wilderness. They had twisted the truth of their story and they had made themselves as man the hero instead of God the hero in the story. See, I can always tell when somebody's lying about the gospel or lying about God or lying about Jesus because when they lie, they make the story about them. They make the story about man. They make the story about bringing glory to man or wealth to man or pleasure to man instead of glory to God. You know it's a false gospel when it's a gospel about man instead of a gospel about God. You need to write that down because your world, your internet, the media, much of what you see on Christian television, much of what you see on Christian entertainment and radio is not a biblical gospel. It is a man-centric gospel. Much of what you're reading from books of pundits and experts and theologians who are reinterpreting scripture are making and preaching a gospel about man instead of a gospel about God that reinterprets the story of God to be a story about man they had reinterpreted the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness in which God sent manna from heaven and they said our forefathers our ancestors gave us manna in other words man was the hero all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 they became like gods number three Jesus challenged not only their ethnocentricity, not only their self-sufficiency, but Jesus challenged their desire for a way of life that would be easy to understand and accept by the rest of the world. In other words, they wanted a gospel that was likable. 
in modern terms and in modern vernacular, they wanted somebody to be able to click the thumbs up button on Instagram and Facebook for their little quotes and their little memes and their little Christianese. They wanted a gospel that they wouldn't be persecuted for. They wanted a gospel that everyone would like. They wanted a Jesus that was huggable. They wanted a Santa Claus Jesus. They wanted a lovable Jesus. They wanted a Messiah and a rabbi that everybody could applaud and that everyone could embrace. And yet Jesus intentionally taught a gospel that would be offensive because he wanted them to understand the message of the kingdom of this world is exa- of this world is at odds with the message of the kingdom of God. And when the message of the kingdom of God or when the kingdom of God comes, it upsets or overturns the kingdom of this world. So of course the kingdom of this world is not going to like or embrace the kingdom of God. As you study throughout Christian history, what you find is the more popular Christianity becomes, the more corrupted it is. Let me say that again because only the sound booth heard me. Throughout human history, what we have found is the more popular Christianity becomes, the more corrupted it is. We've come to a place where we are measuring our success as followers of Jesus Christ by our likability of a world that does not know him. If you'll read your Bible, what it says very, very clearly is those who do not know him are going to hate him. He is a stumbling block to those who do not know him. How in the world, why in the world would we want to present him as likable and lovable? That is simply not who he is. It is a false gospel and it is the reason that these were hard words that he preached that day. One of the privileges of getting to live, at least into your mid-40s where I'm at, is that you get to see things come and go as it relates to style and life. Things fall out of style, and then ultimately they come back into style again. I know if we were to go around this room, there's some of you who, like me, you, you could look back on pictures from your childhood and your teenage years and there's things that you would there's there's hairstyles that you had or clothes that you would wear that you would that you wore that you would probably cringe at but the truth is some of those things that were in style when we were teenagers have already come back into style. I can't tell you how many times Desiree and I have looked at some of the things that our kids wear or, or pictures that we see and we say, wow, that was, that was how I dressed when I was a kid or that's how I dressed when I was a teenager. Ultimately, things come and go. Ultimately, we can't keep up with the ways and and means in which life moves. Things that were hip when we were kids are all of a sudden hip again. Probably not the word hip, I guess. You know, it's amazing what we will do to be accepted. It's amazing. I look back at, I look back at some of my pictures and I thought, I can't believe I really dressed like that. I can't believe I fixed my hair that way. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I can't believe that was how I thought that I would be accepted or how I thought that I should live in the world. Things just come and go and not just the way that we dress, the way we think. It's cycles. 
political ideas and concepts that are so popular right now, just 20 or 30 years ago, would have been thought of as ridiculous because they had been proven wrong 20 or 30 years before that. And now here we are 60 years later and, and the current generation acts like it's the newest best idea. does it happen why does that happen why does truth seem to go on an up and down scale why are things that we thought of as absurd years ago all of a sudden now accepted as truth all of a sudden accepted as the way it ought to be but with all all this noise with all of this being pulled back and forth in many different directions how do I live? What do I do? How do I respond to this hard message of Jesus, this message that maybe is hard to hear or hard to understand? Let me very quickly take those things in which Jesus challenged that crowd that day and turn them around and help you and I to understand how we respond to the words of Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. How do I live in a world where I can't trust Truth, number one, I must surrender my world to the culture of the kingdom of God rather than to filter the kingdom of God through my world. Let me say that a little bit differently. Instead of going to the Bible and trying to make the Bible fit with the latest ideas about culture, about politics, about sexuality, about parenting, about ethics, about morality. Instead of going to the Bible and twisting the words of the Bible to fit my current world, instead, I allow the word of God to shape my view of the world. Instead of, instead of saying, God... What do instead of saying to others, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to accept this or I'm going to believe this because the latest vlogger told me to accept it or believe it. Instead, I'll say, what does God's word say about sexuality? What does God's word say about politics? What does God's word say about racism? What does God's word say about economics? What does God's word what does God, the creator of all things, what does he have to say? about how I live my life, how I parent who I am. See, I have to surrender my worldview to the culture of the kingdom of God. Number two, I have to surrender my idea of sufficiency to a God who provides more than enough, even though his wealth cannot be measured by the world's standards. This is where it gets fascinating to me and multi-layered. They said, give us manna from heaven like our forefathers did. They twisted the truth of the story to make it fit a narrative in which the gospel was about man instead of man being submitted to God. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it is at all. God is the one who provided that manna. And if you really understood the story, you would understand that that story is all about a people learning that God is a God who provides more than enough. And you don't have to have a poverty mentality. You don't have to go out today and gather for tomorrow. You don't have to lie and cheat and steal. You don't have to be stingy. You don't have to hoard up your resources because God is a God who provides more than enough every single day. Jesus was saying to them in my kingdom, you live like people 
who are living out of abundance instead of poverty. In my kingdom, you are people who have a, have a abundance mindset, not a poverty mindset. Because your abundance isn't based on your work. And it isn't based on your capacity to lie, cheat, and steal, and hoard. Your abundance is based on a God who always provides. So you can be generous. You can bless. You can be at peace and at ease. Because your God always provides. Number three. I can know what to believe and what to think because I surrender my need to understand and be understood as a prerequisite for trusting God and moving by faith into all that he has for me. In other words, my Christianity isn't rooted by the parts that I like or the parts that popular media like. I don't just post the words that Jesus said that make everybody feel good. I don't just meditate on the things that God did in human history that seem acceptable to me. But instead, I embrace the fact that God is God and I am not. And he is ultimately and completely above and beyond me. That his ways are not my way. And his love is greater than anything I can comprehend even when I do not understand it i have to surrender my need to understand or to like what god says or did and i have to surrender my need to be liked or for my savior my messiah my rabbi to be liked as a prerequisite for following him the crazy thing about this world of more knowledge than ever is that there's less peace than ever you can Dial up the internet, you can get a question to any answer. You can find out anything about anything. And yet there are more people diagnosed with anxiety disorders now than at any time in history. There are more people on psychotropic medications to help them with their anxiety imbalances and emotional imbalances than at any other time in history. And yet we have more expertise, more knowledge, more information than we have ever had available to any people at any time. How is it that we know more, but we have less peace? How is it that more people have more information, but more people are confused than ever in history? We have style guides and gurus and experts available to tell us everything about everything. I mean, all you need is a website, some sort of shtick, some sort of, you know, a way of, of presenting yourself. All you need is a little bit of money and you can buy followers on your Instagram or your Twitter or your Telegram or your Facebook. I mean, you can get a crowd and you can get a following pretty easily and you can call yourself an expert. Sure. You call yourself a parenting expert. Your children are absolute bratty train wrecks. But in your publicly curated cyber world, we don't know that your house looks like a bomb went off. We don't know that your kids are disrespectful monsters. We don't know that you got your diploma out of a Cracker Jack box. You have a thousand followers. And so I'll just accept what you have to say about parenting. That's the world we live in. You call yourself a Christian on your profile, so I just accept what you have to say. 
I mean, every other meme is one of your cutesy little memes about how mommy has her special coffee cup that actually has wine in it. But you're who I'm supposed to listen to as a Christian mother to tell me about how Jesus would parent his children. Because he had so much to say about parenting his children, although he was a single man who never had children. But you'll take his words out of context, and when you're on one of your drunken wine mommy trips, type out to me what I'm supposed to be doing about how I raise my kids. And I'll just listen to you because you got a few thumbs up on Instagram. And as Christians, we just flock to that nonsense and we accept her words because we like them and we reject Jesus' words because they're hard to hear. Sure. If you're a 27-year-old who's never actually discipled a single person in your life, you've never meanfully or actually added value to society at all, but you've read a few books and you're really good at piecing them together on Twitter. And you're really good at skillfully adding all of these things together with some pictures and some emotions. And, and I know you haven't really read the books. You've just read the quotes from the books. But you're really good at putting them out there. So here's what I'll do. I'll abdicate my entire walk with Jesus. I'll just put it aside. Because after all, he can be a bit confusing. And what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense to me. And everybody else seems to like what you're saying. So I'll follow you. How about that? Look, I'm not trying to pick on 27-year-old pocketbook theologians. I'm really not. I'm not trying to pick on wino mommies who the rest of us look to for advice. I'm not picking on them. The truth is, it's not their fault. It's ours. We've overlooked the gospel. We've rejected the words of Jesus because they're complicated, they're difficult, they're hard. We've found people who will scratch our itching ears and whose words resonate more with our own culture, who promote our human existence and whose words are easy to digest and are simple cliches and we flock to that nonsense instead of bowing our knee to our master when he says, if you want to be in this kingdom, then you eat my flesh, you drink my blood. In other words, you completely surrender yourself to me and as a church we play right into it because we'd rather have crowds than we would disciples and all the while we scratch our head and we wonder why is the church weak and ineffective listen church Jesus said some hard things and it's time that we stop avoiding them it's time that we start leaning into them it's time that we turn off the constant and incessant stream of messages from people who do not know him, who have not walked with him, who cannot communicate his truth, and who do not love him. It's time that we disassociate ourselves from those messages and those words that are inconsistent with the kingdom of God. And it's time we bow our knee to our king. It's time that we stop chasing cliches that are much like those marshmallow eggs that I've been eating every day since last Sunday. 
that are sweet tasting to my lips, but are not good for me. It's time that we move away from that. And as followers of Jesus Christ, it's time that we say, Jesus, I'm not just chasing a loaf of bread. I'm not at church today for a blessing. I'm here today because of you. You're my king. You're my king. And I surrender. Father, I love you and I thank you for every person that is here. As the pastor of this church, my heart for this people is beyond my ability to communicate. The passion and the desire that I have inside of me, the passion and desire that Desiree and I share for this people to know you deeply. God, we just, we don't have words for it. But I know this, I know Jesus, that you came to make disciples and that you called us to make disciples. And being a disciple means that we have to surrender. Jesus, your message wasn't easy to surrender to. I know that we have represented the Bible and the gospel and we've represented you, Jesus, as some sort of hippie guru that everybody just loved. But the truth is, everybody didn't just love you. They hated you, they rejected you, and they ultimately murdered you because what you had to say was so controversial challenged their own culture so much was difficult to understand and even more difficult to submit to but at the end of the day it is the words of life Lord I pray for every person that is here today that God we would become hungry for the word of life Lord I look forward to a day at North Place Church where this building is full of people who are so hungry for your word who have an insatiable desire to consume your word Above all things, we're not chasing cliches. We're not chasing quick fixes or things that make us feel good. But instead, we're surrendering to our master.